We're so thrilled to now be able to welcome in Steve Latart. He's going to be a part of NBC Sports broadcast team this Saturday night for the NASCAR Cup Series regular season finale from Daytona International Speedway in primetime, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 o'clock Central here on NBC and Peacock. Let's now go to the phone lines, and our good pal Steve Latart now joins us. Steve, the time is greatly appreciated. How are you today? I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. Excited. Fired up. You know, regular season's coming to an end. As you mentioned, it's, uh, it's kind of go or go home time, right? <laughs> that point in every season where we're going to see if you have what it takes or if you're just going to be one more team that missed the playoff. So in, in our world, in a college sports town like this, we are so accustomed to the grind of a season, how long it takes from start to finish. We mentioned the regular season coming to a close this weekend in NASCAR. How could you best describe the grind of a NASCAR season, or how would you equate that? Well, I, it's simple as this. This will be the 26th week in the 20, or the 26th race in the 27th week. So these teams started off the third week of February at the Daytona 500, the biggest race of the year. And every team went down there with hopes and aspirations to make the playoffs. And it's been a record year for those teams. Fifteen of them have won. They're guaranteed in. A win has guaranteed themselves a spot in the playoffs. But we have some big names, Ryan Blady, Martin Truex Jr., without wins. Um, and the way our system works, if anyone in the top 30 wins a race, they'll take that 16th seat. So... I mean, it is a grind. It is a long, long stretch from mid-February to now late August. Um, and, and, you know, and then we have 10 weeks of the playoffs. This is just going to excite 16 teams and take the wind out of the sails of everyone else. So we mentioned the season starts there in Daytona. Now we're getting set to race this weekend once again at Daytona. Throughout your career, looking back at your time there at the track, what's the first memory that comes to mind from over the years? Well, listen, it, it, that's why I think what we've created in NASCAR is the best regular season because we start and end at Daytona, and that's really what comes back to mind for me, right? I was able to win the 500 with Dale Jr., um, but Daytona in general, it's special. I mean, it, it's it's just the home of NASCAR, right? There's this big glass tower across the street where the executives are housed. Uh, it's the high banks of Daytona, the history of racing on the beach, the town itself. I probably have as many days in Daytona Beach, Florida, as perhaps any town in the country um, and it just has that feel, you know, it has that big game feel. That, when you talk about stadiums, um, you know, and I've been to many, I've been to most, some of the greatest, there's very few, if any, that compare to what 100,000 people look like in a mile-long grandstands on the high bank of Daytona. It's just electric. And in the summer, so Daytona has that feel of the season kickoff. Uh, but what we've done by moving this to the regular season finale is when the lights come on and the sun goes down, it's more than just the glitz and glam of a night race. It's the glitz and glam of a night race with that added sensation of desperation. And it's desperate time for 15 drivers who know the only way they make the playoffs is to win a race, right? We have a couple of racing for points, but other than that, there's a list of drivers, and there's some big names, right? There's some champions. Brad Kozlowski's in that list. And if they can't win in Daytona, then, then their, their hopes of a championship have been extinguished. I, you know, the question I was going to ask is uh, just how cool is it, it just in the sport of NASCAR that there's so much parity that from race to race, you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, there is not just that one driver that is just dominant right now. How cool is that for you as a, as a broadcaster, just as a fan of NASCAR, to be able to sit down and watch a race and you really just don't know what's going to happen by the time that checkered flag drops? Well, I would tell you it's spectacular as a fan. It's humbling as an analyst. 
because yeah. for most years you've been able to, um, you know, kind of pick the top two or three guys or the teams that were going to get hot at the right time. And this year has been the most difficult between the new car and the unknowns in the new car. And then I also believe this has been slowly building with the way the business model of NASCAR is with the charters. We're starting to see some new owners, the track house 2311 that have been around a couple of years now, but they're really kind of getting their legs underneath them, stretching their legs and finding their ways to be successful. So it, it, it's a little bit of both, you know, it's some of it's the new car, but I believe some of this is going to continue for quite some time because I think, uh, you know, it's just there are more equal teams. You know, the powerhouses have lost the step, and some of the smaller teams have found the step. And, and Steve, we talk about this race and obviously being the, the last one of the regular season. Obviously, in the past, though, it used to be the 4th of July race, and it used to always be a, a big event. And, and now NASCAR moving it uh, in recent years to the end of the regular season I can't think of a more perfect race because of what you talked about with anyone that could win it and just the anxiety. I, I wonder, too, if from the angle of we've had stage racing in NASCAR for a while now as well, but it really makes all the stages matter because if no one ends up winning that's outside the top uh, 16 right now, if Blaney or Truex need to race in on points, they've got to be trying to get every stage point they can as well. Well, they have to get to every stage point. And then the 15 guys that know they're in the postseason starting in Darlington a, a week from, from this Daytona race, they want those playoff points. And one gets assigned to win a stage. So, you know, when you look at the playoffs and you look at Austin Spindrick, he wins the victory lane in the Daytona 500 to kick off the year. But other than that major highlight, there hasn't been a lot of highlights. He's going to be a little behind when it comes to the reseeding, the way the points are distributed. So that playoff point has high value for him. So I believe there are these moments throughout the race that are going to be super, super valuable for all the drivers in the field. Um, you know, you just said it. The year's been unpredictable. I, I don't know what we're going to see. You know, I think it's going to have a little bit of everything. I think we're going to see some chaos. I think we're going to see some times that they're going to get lined up around the top. And I say that because, you know, we could say that's a lull, but I look at it a different way. Like, we're three wide all the way around there. The drivers can't really do much. Almost, it's really just gridlock at 200 miles an hour. But when they get single file around the top, pounding down the laps to the end of the stage, 12 to go, 10 to go, 9 to go, man, that is like, that, that, that's the anticipation. You know it's coming. And uh, that could be just as exciting. And I think this race, we're going to have all of that. Well, now, with this race being at Daytona on a super speedway, we all, we all know the dangers that come with just NASCAR in general, but all, especially on a super speedway. Are there, are there any worries among the drivers or the crews or anybody over when you get towards the end of that race, people might start taking some, some chances that they shouldn't be taking? And, I mean, you talked about the potential of chaos, but is there any worries that, you know, the super speedway and, you know, the, the margin of error is very slim and, and how dangerous that could get if guys start really kind of pushing the envelope a little bit too much? Well, I really believe that all 36 drivers, when they climb in at Daytona, they've accepted the fact they may not finish. They could be involved in a big accident, right. and we've seen them. And that's really – tell you what sets these drivers apart. I'm friends with most of them. I play golf with some of them. I hang out with them, and they seem like such normal people. And then they show up on Sunday, and they are so far from normal, you can't even explain it. <laughs> it's, um, their normal is undefinable, right? It's, right. It's, they find it normal. Like, you're going to talk to them pre-race, and an hour later, they're going to climb, in, climb into a 3,400-pound hunk of steel and go 200 miles an hour. And I'm going to tell you, we throw those numbers around all the time. 
it's kind of like, you know, those athletes talk about lifting weights, right? Oh, I could bench 250. You ever try to bench 250 pounds? That's an easy number. I can't deadlift 250 pounds, right? <laughs> like, we kind of get used to the power and the speed of the stick and ball guys. Well, I'm going to tell you, we throw miles per hour around in NASCAR all the time. You go to Daytona, you climb down on the grandstands, you walk as close as they'll let you go to that catch fence, and you feel what 40 cars at 180 miles an hour feel like, and, and you will never forget that moment. And then when you watch it on TV and one gets backwards, your stomach will go into your throat because you'll remember how fast that car felt when it came by you. It's life-changing. Steve, last week we had drama at Watkins Glen, and we saw Kyle Larson ultimately uh, beat out Chase Elliott, A.J. Allmendinger, and other and other uh, to to win that race, and of course, after the race, uh, there was some little bit of talk about between Larson and Elliott and and their status. You know, obviously, teammates NASCAR and racing is is such a unique thing because it's it's the one sport where you have teammates that can't share in the winning as much as you can. Because obviously, if Kyle Larson wins the championship, good for Hendrick Motorsports, but Chase Elliott can't win the ch- championship at that point too, and vice versa. And I just wonder your perspective of this, having crew chiefed in that organization, a big organization for Jeff Gordon at a time when Jimmy Johnson was the up-and-comer and Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson started to have run-ins. What do you think of everything that went down and how difficult is it for an organization? Look, it's a great problem to have to have multiple guys in championship contention, but how difficult is it for uh, an organization to deal with two drivers that are both they're fighting for the same real estate. They're both trying to win a championship, and sometimes that's going to lead into some on-course on accidents. Yeah, really. When I go back and watch Watkins Glen, in my mind, I understand Chase Elliott being frustrated that he lost, but to being disappointed on how he's treated by, by Kyle Larson, I just don't see it. Um, the move I see Kyle Larson make right there, if that's anyone but Chase Elliott to the outside, none of us even question it. And as a race fan, we should applaud the fact that he's going to do it, whether it's a teammate or not. I understand teammates. And I understand we're going to work together. We're going to help each other out. We're going to share information. We're even going to perhaps have a little give and take throughout the day. But at some point, there's 36 drivers. There's not Hedgehog Motorsports. There's not Joe Gibbs Racing. We talk about it in the media. And, and you know, those are good buzzwords. But Kyle Lart, like, you know, when I say Dale Jarrett has won three days on the 500, we don't talk about who his teammates were for the three. We don't talk about where he drove for the three. You know, Dale Jarrett's a Hall of Famer because he has three Harley J. Earls on the, tro- on the trophy case from Daytona. So in the end, you know, it's, it's, it's a little head-scratching to some, but in my mind, I'm, I'm more just shocked that Chase Elliott would expect something different out of Kyle Larson. I'm shocked that he took the outside and gave up the advantage. Um, and now listen, Rick Hendrick and Jeff Ford, they're, they're, mad, they're magicians at this, right? The place is going to work together. The engineers are going to work together. And I think every once in a while, you have to remind your superstars what's expected of them on the racetrack. Now, I don't know what was said, but if I know Rick Hendrick very well, the rules probably still apply, which is under no circumstances do you get in an accident or wreck your teammate. It's unacceptable. That level of aggression won't be tolerated. But that's kind of the line and the only line. Um, and, and that line wasn't crossed on Sunday. So I can understand the disappointment, but at the same time, the race fan should be applauding it. Because the day Kyle Larson doesn't try to beat Chase Elliott, we have a way bigger conversation than two drivers mad at one another. I'm going to be the guy screaming into the microphone wanting to know what we're doing and why we're watching it. And, and I heard you say that exact same thing in the, in the post-race uh, on uh, USA uh, last weekend. And, and, you know, like I said, it, I kind of alluded to it in the, the previous question, but it, it, it takes me back because obviously, 
you know, when you were in the middle of it for this organization with Jeff Gordon as Jimmy Johnson became the new superstar, and, like, when you're accustomed as a driver to – obviously you're still racing against everyone else, but when the person in your own shop is arguably your biggest competition, look, that's not – I don't want to sell anyone else in this field short because obviously someone outside of Hendrick Motorsports can win this championship. There's plenty of great drivers. But when someone in your own shop feels like your biggest competition – what does the driver think about that? And, and you, you as a crew chief, are you looking over at that other pit box saying, yeah, that's kind of my buddy, but at the same time, we've got the same goal and I need to beat that guy? Well, I think it's very clear that you're really, really good teammates for about six and a half days a week. But when the green flag flies, you're responsible for one car and one car only. Back when Jimmy and Jeff, Jimmy and uh, Jeff had their disagreements, you know, Chad and I were the ones sitting the two of them down in a room and saying, listen, you guys are going to have to get get by this. We have to figure out the rules of engagement because everybody in our building, they're 2448 employees. They, they go to victory lane. If either team goes to victory lane, they get their bonuses if either team wins. So there's no colors within the building. So really the only people that feel this separation are you two drivers. And I'm going to give Jimmy and Jeff credit, right? They found a way to get past that and lead that. And I think that experience is going to be vital for Jeff, who now leads this organization. He can bring those firsthand experiences up to those drivers. Um, you know, great organizations are rarely ever torn down from the outside. They're always torn down from the inside, and Hendrick Motorsports is going to be no different. And I can assure you that, you know, they're not going to allow a, a division within to make a difference. Um, but to your point, rules of engagement need to be cleared up if they're not, because this won't be the last time Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson start in the front row. And as, as we enter the playoffs, you know, we think Watkins Glen was stressful. It was just a regular season event. You wait till we get to a cut race in the round of eight, when we roll in there and those two are on the front row, one of them needing a win, uh, that's going to be a big moment in time. So, Steve, let's let's get back to what's at hand this weekend in Daytona uh, with the regular season coming to an end. Talk about some of the drivers that you expect to be vying for this win to try and get into the playoffs. And then as a crew chief, what kind of strategy should we be looking out for uh, in Daytona Saturday night? Well, I think for as, as a crew chief, anyone who thinks track position at a super speedway doesn't matter is incorrect. To win this race, you need to run up front all day long. Gas only, two tires, whatever you have to do to keep your driver up front. For drivers that I think can get it done, you know, there's a long list of people that have won, but probably at the top of the list would be Brad Kozlowski. He won a duel back in the spring. He's a seven-time super speedway winner. The guy knows how to go to victory lane. Um, his teammate Chris Busher as well won the other duel back in February. Ryan Blaney won this race a year ago. There are just so many people in the field that have proven success at Daytona. You know, Eric Amarola is a two-time Super Speedway winner. And I think that's what makes this such a captivating finish is that, you know, it's hard to go to Kansas or Charlotte or Richmond and convince the world that, you know, 15 drivers that haven't won the entire year now can win when it matters the most. But going to Daytona, I believe that is possible. I think that's not hyperbole. I think that's a real situation we all have to kind of accept. Uh, so uh, we can sit here and we talk about the drivers. Now, you have uh, obviously spent some time as a crew chief, but uh, with all these teams, how important is their crew chief to making sure that everything is going right? And who are some crew chiefs out there that, that you really like that are leading their teams into some uh, top-notch areas? Well, I think what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to control the tempo. You know, what the crew chief does at the Super Speedway is call a little bit of strategy, but also control the tempo. When, when things start looking a little odd when things start feeling a little odd when you don't like 
the aggression against your team or out of your team, you can kind of roll that back. And for that reason, I look for experience on top of the pit box. And I think that experience is going to come out. Um, and, and for that reason, that's what makes the playoff driver so tough, right? Whether it's Paul Wolf for Joey Logano, Alan Gustafson for Chase Elliott. You know, these, these crew chiefs that have been there, felt it, dealt with the pressures, you know, they're going to be hard to beat. And that's really the point. With 15 winners already, I know any of the other 15 in the top 30 could win their way in, but to do it, they have to outrun those guys that have proven to be winners already this year. Steve Latart from NBC Sports joining us here on Sports Call today in Auburn, Alabama. Steve, the time has been greatly appreciated. What a fun conversation we were able to have with you. Thank you again for taking time to do this, and we'll be sure to watch on Saturday night. Saturday night, 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock where y'all are at on USA. I'm going to tell you, there's going to be lights on, speed on the high banks, and some fireworks in the air when it's over, but definitely on the track while it's going on. You want to tune in and check it out. It's going to be great. We'll be tuned in. Thanks for the time today, Steve. This was fun. Thank you.